Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, read and discuss young adult fiction. And this week, it is the very start of the year, and so I read a book that retells the story of an Irish legend from many thousands of years ago, and I just... I have beef, Kira. I have beef with this book. You've, you can't have beef, we're five seconds in. I have beef that you are certainly familiar with and that the listener may be familiar with, which I will try not get in the way of my having an honest opinion about this book, which I would quite like to read. But as I was introducing myself, I was thinking, that's my name. Ah, yes, this beef. Irish listeners may have noticed that though my name is Aoife, it is not spelled A-O-I-F-E. It is spelled A-I-F-E. Uh, and I love my name. My mother gave it to me upon my birth because she was going to call me Siobhan. And she looked at the small pink jelly that she had extruded through her vagina and thought, she doesn't look like a Siobhan. And so she looked through her books of Irish mythology and folklore. And she decided to name me after as I tell people, the Wicked Witch in a Fairy Tale, also known as the Evil Stepmother, also known as the Aoife in The Children of Lear, who is the protagonist of the book Kira's going to be telling me about today. So lucky for you, because she is the protagonist, her name written down doesn't come off that much. Other people's names get said more. But yes, this is this is the story of the stepmother from the Children of Lear legend and it is from her point of view and therefore it is her story. So I am worried that people will read it and be like, huh, what a lovely old Irish name. I will give that to my child. For some reason, I'm totally okay with trans femme people deciding, oh, what a cool story story what a cool character I'm going to take this name because then I can be assured that at least it's a queer person I guess but (laughs) and like trans people are notorious for having very cool names so that's fine but what if just a normal boring person has my name it's mine you're gonna be even more obsessed because in order to help people on the internet pronounce your name you sometimes spell it E-E-F-A. But the yeah. pronunciation guide spells it E-F-A. Effa? I don't know. Um, I don't think that you have much to fear in people. Like, I love you and I love your name, but I think that there are way cooler old Irish names in this. So Ooh. that sucks to be you. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, do we want to do a little, how did you come across this book? Oh, I came across this book because if you were in Ireland and you haven't come across this book, I don't know how. So Deirdre Sullivan is a very successful Irish writer in Ireland. Um, she, So she's born and raised in Galway and now living in Dublin. Uh, Siobhan Parkinson, who is a legend of Irish books, um, was is a mentor to her, to her or definitely was, mm-hmm. I assume still is, and actually supported her in getting her first book published um we've done a Deirdre Sullivan book before at the very start of actually I think it was the first book that we did in in 2020 hey how do I get a sewing mentor (laughs) 
You mean um, a book mentor or a sewing one? I meant a book mentor. I'm so sorry. While you were gone checking on the post, which we definitely cut out of the pod, <laughs> I somehow ended up on an internet rabbit hole because I have sewed several nice skirts for myself, but I'm not good at sewing zippers. So I was looking at how to sew in a zipper without damaging the skirt as it stands. Um, um, I would also like a sewing mentor, but mostly I would like a book mentor. I believe that Deirdre Sullivan did it by doing a class with Siobhan Parkinson and impressing her so much that Siobhan Parkinson, when given the opportunity to commission a novel, commissioned Deirdre Sullivan. I'm good at impressing teachers, unfortunately. I'm glad. Like, opposed to all of my, like, anarchist leanings, I'm good at impressing teachers. Um, so that's what you got to do. You got to start doing some writing classes with, um, with, with teachers who have the ability to commission books. All right. I think I might just... Um, continue to be queer and um perhaps one day communicate with a queer writer from ireland about how much i love their work and hope that that helps cool because that's the that's the thing the queer community is a great resource if you're a young queer person out there and you feel abandoned and unsure because you don't know how to have like mentorship and leadership and a connection with older queer people let me tell you every queer person older than you wants to adopt you so it's not an issue yeah I want to adopt all of the children all of the time and it's been so long since I've adopted a queer child it's it's harder when you stop interacting with them so often it's also harder when you're not in college yeah that's what I mean because college keeps bringing you new sources of baby queers every year but they're gone now. Or, well, they're still there. They're yeah. still coming. They're still coming out uh, into university, except the universities are all closed. So I don't... How are the baby yeah. queers? We should check in on them. Um, we should. Hey, if you're listening here and you're a queer person and you don't feel like you have a sense of queer community, I want you to know that we love you and that if you're in Ireland, Tenny and belong to are two really good organizations who are out there for you specifically run by people who want you to be happy and healthy we were meant to talk about a book we are talking about a book queer people are relevant because within this book there are queer people hell yes tell me um so the story is of Aoife who is the middle child her older sister Ave and her younger sister Alva who have been taken from their homes in order to be fostered by the High Chief of Ireland, the High King. Mm-hmm. And the people who travel with them in order to be like their caregivers and also their protection are Doctra and Small. And they are lady lovers. They are two female warriors who, who love each other. And it's, it's lovely. That is wonderful. In my knowledge of the Children of Lear myth, Aoife's father is called Red. Something to do with Red. So is that that would be her her foster fa- father who is um, Brove Darug. Okay, interesting to have someone have the name Darug because usually if someone has a red name, it would be Rua to reflect the color of hair. Darug means a lot more bloody red. Um. Well, he is he is a warrior and he is like 
the best warrior. So I assume that he also causes a lot of bloodshed. Yeah, I'll do it. So this makes sense to me. Yeah, so so the book tells, as I've said already, the book tells the legend of the children of Lear from Aoife's point of view. And it starts from when she is brought away from her own family and tells like her childhood. And then it does, her story does go predominantly chronological from from when she leaves her family on the island of Arran to current day, actually, to be honest. As in current day to Ireland today. Yes. Like 2021. Like 2021 or 2020 when the book was written. Interesting. Most people in Ireland will be familiar with the the legend of the children of Lear, but in order to support people who aren't and also people who are not Irish readers, it it gives sections of the legend as you are going. And so the format is really beautiful. It kind of splits the books into parts. So there are chapters within the parts and each part has just a fragment of the story of the children of Lear. And within that, we get like the legend and then Aoife's telling of that aspect of the legend and how it came about from her point of view. Mm -hmm. So you get the whole story that is traditionally known as well as the story from Aoife's point of view. Okay, interesting. And because within the story, Aoife is is turned into a demon of the air due to her crimes against the children of Lear, she is she is bound to never die and so she still exists now and has seen all the changes within Ireland and within the world so okay that is interesting I'm really interested in this because I mean I have an interest in folklore in general I have an interest in this story obviously because haha that's me it is a myth that has undergone a lot of revision over time Mm-hmm. But I suppose it would make more sense for you to tell me approximately what happens than for me to start guessing. One important thing that I quite like in some versions, actually, that I'm going to point out just in case it's not included, is that when the children are turned into swans, you know, in some versions of the myth, Aoife comes back home to her husband and is like, oh no, something terrible has happened. The children have turned into swans. And the husband's like, oh no. And they are united in their grief. And later as he investigates and he finds the kids and he talks to them, he comes back to his court and he's like, my darling wife who I love so much, what punishment should I put on the person who turned my children into swans, our children into swans. And she's like, nothing could possibly be enough. I think this should happen and this should happen and this should happen. And then that's her punishment. Like she decides it by being really overzealous on trying to cover up what she did. Um, That's not quite in this version. So I'll tell us, I'll tell it from the start. The, ch- the story of the children of Lear is that Lear is... A high, a high king is a, is a king within the land, but he's like a rural king. He manages his province and he goes... It's kind of like being... Sorry, again, for the listener. In Ireland, historically, being a king is like being a local leader. It's like you have your high king, who I guess is like the equivalent of 
a Taoiseach or a president, but then you've also got your local kings who's just like the head of the county council and he's one of those. Yeah. So the there's a new high king decided upon, uh, Brove Darug, and he is the foster father of these three girls. And Lear goes to him and is like, yo, I support you being high king, but I actually really wanted to be high king. So like... I'm side-eyeing you. And in order to keep him on side, Brogue gives him his pick of the three daughters and he picks Ave. And so he goes home with Ave and they are very happily married and she has two sets of twins who are the children of Lear within this story. Uh, Lear actually has like 150 or so children throughout his life. That is... I was going to say that's impressive, but he is immortal in this story. Everyone within the story is semi-immortal um, children of gods kind of deal. That's that's just how it was back before Christianity. Yes. Um, Lear is also um, the god of the sea, kind of. So, but in... Oh God, Kira, you can stop me from interrupting. It feels like really rude. I'm just very enthusiastic about this story. If you can explain it better, please do. <laughs> but it's that there's no, like there are gods, gods sort of in Irish mythology. And then there are these figures who are like not ghosty enough to be local spirits, but not solid enough to be historical figures and not powerful enough to be gods and not like, like they're just, they're the Didanen and they're like, they interact with pure human figures and they're just kind of like the fairies, I guess, but not how people think of as the fairies. And yeah, that's, that's um, Lear. Yeah, that, that is kind of Lear. So he, he gets his wife. She has four children for him. The, the birthing of the second twins leaves her kills her essentially and Lear comes back to Bove Darug and is like yo my wife died can I have another yeah can I and, uh, give you another way in which the myth is sometimes told differently yeah sure sometimes when people really want to emphasize the unworldliness of these people they're like she didn't die because these people can't die but like she was put she was asleep she was sick and she had to take a long time to recover or something which effectively meant she died which is when which for me is americans trying to understand or not even americans non-irish people trying to deal with the fact that these characters aren't quite gods but aren't quite just guys um Aoife talks about that throughout the book and she kind of puts it as, she says, our people lived longer than our people lived longer. And it's, it's like, cause she watches it all through, through such a long time frame that, that even when she was alive, she was like, our people lived longer. And so what is a year at that time? But at the same time, she's now, oh, my God, what is what is a hundred years? Because she's been alive for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of as belief faded from the land, their power faded. And so the coming of, of Christianity was a real nail in the coffin 
for for her mm-hmm. people. Um, but it was kind of it was coming slightly before then as well. Like things had been changing. Lear dies before the children of Lear are returned to their human forms and they find that like very distressing because that wasn't something that they had anticipated being able to happen and Aoife also finds it like within the book she's like I don't fully understand how this could have happened like she she understands that death happens and that people die all the time but she's also like Lear was such a such an embodiment that I don't fully grasp that he has died that is bizarre mm-hmm. um so yeah it's not that they're immortal so as much as their lifespans are so long that they are effectively unless something comes along and actively kills them yeah they can die in battle yeah or clearly <laughs> um childbirth something traumatic you know a trauma they don't- so lear comes and that looks for a second wife and chooses Aoife and she is very excited about this because she always looks for love from everyone. And within the legend, she becomes overly jealous of the children that her sister had for Lear. And in being unable to make any of her own children or give him children of her own, she becomes further more and more jealous of them and resentful towards them and the love that Lear has for them over the love that he has for her. And she takes the children on a visit to her foster father and along the way they stop at a lake where she uses her evil magic because she is an evil person to turn them into swans and they must spend 300 years at a lake near their own home and then 300 years in the waters between Ireland and England, and a further 300 years on the west of Ireland before they are allowed to come back and return to their human forms. And that it, for that, for doing this, she then travels, she continued within, within this version of the story, that is the version that is told along with the, the true version Aoife's point of, of view Aoife's, that she then travels on to visit her father her foster father and is like oh the children didn't come with me I know I sent word that they were but they didn't and then he finds this suspicious and sends people back and then it eventually comes out that she has done something to the children and she admits it freely like once they're like okay but the children aren't back at your house and they're not at my house so where are the kids she's like okay no but I okay I did do something to the kids was she planning on killing the kids before she went to her dad's house? In the legend or in the real, or in Aoife's telling? In this version. Um, no, I don't believe so. Um, Do we get the impression she's a reliable narrator though? She tells us herself that she is not. Okay. She says, you cannot trust a story, even mine. Remember that. Be careful. I am seeking something like the truth. A truth, at least my truth. And I don't want to daub Lear's name with mud to show how I shine. I am not a shining creature. I am an ugly thing, and part of me has always been an ugly thing. A sneak. A child who likes attention, power. A woman who looked jealously at love that wasn't for her and resented us. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a, an acknowledgement, at least, of some unreliability. Yeah. Don't know whether it's sufficient 
And so, yeah, once it's found that she doesn't have the children. Can I? Yeah. Can I ask what age the kids are in this retelling? It's unclear. They don't have ages as such that are given, but my impression is that the older two are in their early teens, maybe 12, 12, 13-ish, and then the younger two are... They're only, there's only a year between them, really. Oh. So, because, because part of the reason why the childbirth was so difficult is because there wasn't enough time between the births. And for this, Aoife mm-hmm. holds Lear responsible because he should have known better than to impregnate his wife so soon after when she wasn't healed from the first birth. Yeah, okay. I can see how you would uh, have that resentment if your sister died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of, again, validity or reality. People don't like when their sisters die, generally speaking. Yeah, Lear then follows her to Broke Darug's house. And Broke Darug puts his own spell on Aoife in order to punish her. And he changes her into a demon of the air. And he also puts the spell so that 900 years will pass for the children of Lear, but time will never stop for you. Your treachery has condemned you forever. And Aoife flew away. She is flying still. Yeah, she is. Because she's a demon of the air, she is cursed to never touch ground. Yeah, cursed to never touch ground often. So that's where the story, like the official legend, leaves Aoife. Like, she is now... She has done her dastardly deed and has been punished and she does not come back into us. The rest of the legend follows the children as they spend 300 years in Loch Derg. They spend 300 years between Ireland and England and then 300 years near an island, Inishglora, I think. Yeah, I mean, between Ireland and England is pretty balmy. Oh no, the weather was really terrible. That was the, the terrible 300 years for them. Maybe it's more north towards Scotland. Yeah, they talk the about... They talk about um, Avon Abyss, which is which is Scotland. I'm fascinated at the pronunciations here because obviously this tale was originally written in Old Irish and I know that a lot of the pronunciations have changed. Like, for example, in Cúcollan, in the tale of Cúcollan, Cúcollan's wife has a name which we now would usually pronounce Emer, but was actually probably at the time pronounced Ever. So I'm wondering how much these pronunciations and the pronunciation guide she gave where, you know, my name was pronounced Effa is like, is it an attempt at um, being phonetic that we're picking up wrong? Is it that the pronunciation has changed? Is it a localization thing? This is not interesting to people other than me. Um, I don't know. You were also hearing my bastardization of pronunciations, which probably doesn't help because my tongue does not fully form the Irish language very well. Unfortunately, my apologies to everyone listening and being like, oh no, she's even getting the pronunciation guide wrong. I think about 12% of our listeners are in Ireland, so like, they'll suck it up. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so the children see out their, their curse, their 300 year, their 900 years total, and then they are saved by Christianity, essentially, within the legend. A monk comes and he builds a church and he befriends the swans. And when he rings the bell of the church, they are turned back to human. 
and he baptizes and buries them as they die from the fact that they are 900 years old. This also happens, well, a very similar thing happens to a mermaid in a myth. Um, and it sucks. It's always like, oh yeah, and this great legendary character was cursed forever. Except now we're Catholic, so yeah. <laughs> so actually a monk turned up and gave her a baptism so she can have a soul. And, yeah, ugh. it's uh, it's not great. I mean, it's it's the myth surviving. The myth wouldn't survive if it didn't have that ending because the people telling it wouldn't have. Well, it would have, but you know, it's a survival strategy. So Aoife's story doesn't vary too much from the official telling other than it humanizes her a lot more and also like it doesn't justify her actions because she also does not justify her actions throughout the book she is like at the time it seemed okay so she's like I did not bring the children to the lake in order to hurt them but when I brought them to the lake I knew in myself that I would hurt them and I asked the 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 guards who were with us to stop me and they would not and so I hurt the children like it wasn't with malice forethought but it I knew I knew that something would happen and I now know with the decades are these guards around to uh verify this they they claim that she just did her evil act and did not speak to them yeah that sounds more likely she actually like in the book asks them to kill her she's like you must kill me or i will do something terrible and they're like nah we're not gonna do that because we don't want to get in trouble with lear for killing his wife like he already ran through a wife this decade it's yeah and also like her sister is a replacement for for a previous wife like he has had many wives and he has wives. Why does he fuck so much? Does he keep fucking them to death? I think I think the wife before Ava um, died of slightly more natural causes, but like she was more mortal than him and died of age. But mm-hmm. at any rate, I don't believe that she was his first wife either. And he does have wives again after Ifa. This is glossed over a lot in most of the retellings, but because um, I'm not actually sure which. Th- the original version is like it would make more sense for him to have a bunch of kids as an immortal character but often uh the motivations of Aoife are jointly you know one I am okay with having these children around so long as I can produce a child who will then be Lear's heir and then two I love my husband so much but he loves his children more because they are a reminder of his last wife who he loved more than me um but it sounds in this that they're not going for a love match at all between Aoife and Lear. There isn't quite a love match. She is so young. When you consider, like, even if you think of this within, like, age ranges that we are more used to, she is essentially 17, 18, 20 at the oldest. And he is a 60, 50 to 60 year old man. And, like... And that's that's an age discrepancy that we would be like, ooh. And in reality, like, she is 20 at the oldest and he is hundreds of years old. That's interesting because I was actually... A question that was sort of on the back of my throat, but I didn't really want to interrupt with is, like, how is this YA? 
are we just covering it because the author is a YA author or is the character young? So the character, like the majority of her story happens when she is young and she is retelling the story of her youth. But yeah, like she's telling it from the point of view of a being that is now thousands of years old. So it's a mix because even by the time the children of Lear return to their human form, they are all in their thousands um, because they have yeah. spent 900 years as swans and they live years after that as swans also because the curse was vague um, and it's like you have to do these 300 years in these three locations and you will not return to and something yeah happen. you will not return to being a human until the gods of this land have changed so after 900 years the gods of the land haven't changed so they continue to be swans for a period of time mm-hmm. after that again so that's fun for them and like there's also like a lot of questions about we don't get a lot of information from the children themselves but there is like clearly confusion within them about like what the end of the curse will look like and from Aoife as well as like in my anger and in my wording it is very unclear what will happen at the end of the 900 years like I don't know will the ch- will they return to their bodies as they left like will they return as children will they return as 1000 year old adults will will they ever become like will the gods ever change in the land like how long will that take like it's just unclear in what form the ending of the spell will take it is interesting that she's framed it kind of explicitly that and your father will never see you as human again because he is a god of this land Mm. so Mm. i actually hadn't thought of that that's a good point i'm also interested that's a good Pardon? point because everyone is shocked when Lear dies and when the children are no longer bound to the locations to which Eva has set the- for them, they go back where they lived with Lear and um, they they find it destroyed because Lear has died and the whole place has been ransacked and it's actually been like mm-hmm. a good number of years. Um, I think that he might have died a hundred years nearly before they they are freed from their locations um and they're just like oh but we had things to say to him (laughs) i had that's our dad uh, mostly they had it's fanula so fanula is eldest the only daughter fanula and a are usually teenagers and is it yeah con and fear are sometimes portrayed as much younger which i think makes the tale a lot more tragic if it's about like a seven-year-old who never gets to be a person so Fanula is kind of like the leader of them and the one who eldest daughter syndrome but she is she is the 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 mother of the three boys essentially when they are swans and she has a lot of anger Peter Pan Wendy syndrome Peter Pan Wendy syndrome and she has a lot of anger towards Lear for their treatment when they so for their first 300 years they are on a lake close to where Lear lives and he visits them very regularly but they are also like kind of like local celebrities where people just come and visit them and like are like oh look at these cursed children we should pet them and give them food and just be and they sing really beautifully they do sing really beautifully that is something that Aoife gives them is is their their beautiful voices what a gift thank you Aoife (laughs) 
How kind and generous you are. I love you, stepmom. Um, and then they spend the next 600 years in really terrible conditions. But mm-hmm. like Eat Fanula in particular has like a lot of anger towards Lear for not looking for them, for not checking on how they're doing. If they are such beloved children of his, why didn't he want to see how how they're doing? Why didn't he want to set up some sort of shelter? Why didn't he try make their lives easier? Um, Mm -hmm. And so like she definitely had like a lot to say to him that she didn't get. And it is interesting how a retelling can shift your thoughts on something because it is the story of the children of Lear. And for the first half, Aoife describes it as such. And at a certain point, she stops and she starts describing it as the children of Ave. Okay. And she's that's how she describes them from that point on. Because she's like, why is it that Lear gets such ownership of these children? They were my sister's children too. And and she tells it from she starts calling it that instead and describing them as such. And it's it really like the whole book is just Alexander Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells our story. Okay. And I appreciated that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though she is the person that caused all of this hurt and harm to the kids, she is also like, listen, I was hers. And so I hurt people, but that's not a good excuse. I, I should have looked for other, other methods of dealing with my trauma, but now that I have done this hurt, she does try her best to mitigate what has happened. The impact. The impact. How does she do that? So as a demon of the air, she has very little control over over her own form, but she checks in on them as much as she can, like by traveling by the air. And she keeps talking about how there are multiple forms of power and the ones that like most work for her are the earth and the water and despite her being of the air oh, oh previous so she's been divorced from she's her been power divorced then. from her power but she starts to find that like if she angles her air body in such a way she can like feel the rain on her and that gives her strength for a period of time but over time what really happens is that like she adjusts and she starts to feel and see the power of the wind and the air Mm -hmm. and that gives her like more freedom and as she becomes more aware of the lives of others and more sympathetic to the lives of others the air is kinder to her and at one point allows her to change form so that she becomes a bird and is able in that moment to t- to land on a branch. That's nice. I placed a tentative claw upon the branch and landed. And what a gift it was to feel my feet on something. And I stayed there, grateful to the air and listening to all the goings on. The sap, the sunlight filtering through into the leaves the movement of the water and air, the dance of the insects up and down and in all of the bark and around the leaves. And I was smaller than I had ever been. And it was a warm day and I could feel the sunlight on my feathers and it settled me. Underneath the tree was the earth and inside the tree was the water and the air was blanketing around me and it had done me this kindness. What a kindness to be in the world and to see the little pieces of us. 
That's quite sweet. Yeah, and she just, and that is in the now where she is telling the yeah. book. She ha- she and the heir have come to like some sort of understanding where she does have to spend some time as a demon of the air, but she also spends time as various birds. And in, in those moments, she doesn't cease to be, but she ceases, she becomes those animals. So that mm-hmm. like, it is a break from her own self. Yeah, it's, she's a little bit more chill, I imagine. Yeah. She has a less consciousness. Yeah, and like, Throughout it, Aoife is like, listen, I'm telling my story and obviously I am the hero of my own story, even when I acknowledge that I am being villainous, but I don't want the overwhelming feeling that you feel for me to be sympathy. I did a terrible thing and I am being punished for that terrible thing, but also mm-hmm. feel that I am deserving of some sympathy because I wouldn't have done this terrible thing if things had been different. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm with you. I am on your side. Therapy should have existed. People shouldn't have just Uh, given you away. People shouldn't have given away your sister. But also you should not have reacted the way that you did. And when you asked for help, people should have given it. Like there are a number of circumstances around her actions that I feel limited sympathy towards. Mm -hmm. But mostly I was like, oh, all of the characters within a legend are characters with their own stories in their own rights. And she tells, throughout the telling of her own story, she interrupts herself multiple times to also tell other Irish legends. And... Oh? Yeah, so she, like, she talks about Cucullin, she talks about Emer comes up in, at a point, and mostly what she does is to be like, this is the story. How do you think this other person felt? Like, I don't Mm. know. I wasn't there. I'm not those people. But sometimes I think about this character within that story who is not the main character and I wonder about them. Can I interject with a nice example of that, which is another Aoife from Irish folklore? Mm -hmm. So I mentioned, well, actually, you mentioned the tale of Cúcullin and I mentioned that he had a wife called Ever. But he also learned, he trained to be a warrior under the tutelage of a warrior woman called Aoife who lived I think with someone with another woman called Scathoc on a Scottish island and I'm probably misremembering that name slightly nope that's the name that's in the book okay Scathoc and he's there and he like has to best her in combat to get to train with her but there's also just a bunch of sexual assault overtones with him I think he he drives some of Aoife's horses off a cliff and something and like he bests her in battle so then like she has to bear him a son uh, and this is like his old teacher and then he just fucks off back to his wife so Aoife is left with this child And the kid eventually is like, I would like to know who my father is. And so she sends him out at the age of seven with the two things he has to live by, which are you must challenge every man you meet to a fight and you must never tell anyone who your father is. So on the like pretty rock solid assumption that either her kid is gonna kill this guy who sexually assaulted her 
or this guy who sexually assaulted her is going to have to murder his own child. And of course, Ku Cullen is a legend, so he ends up murdering his own child. And it's just a neat way to look at revenge, huh? That's That Aoife does appear in some way. Like Aoife, our Aoife, speculates about that Aoife in such a way oh. as to wonder if perhaps... So her younger sister, Alva, is a warrior. And when she does this terrible thing to the children, she goes to Alva and is like, they will punish you for your association with me. You should leave. And she encourages yeah. her to go to Alban and to... Mm-hmm. Which is Scotland. Which is Scotland. And to and to join Scathrock there. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know what happens to her. She never finds out what happens to Alva. She hears that there is a warrior woman called Aoife who is with Scathra. And she wonders if that woman could be Alva and that she had taken her name in order to like disguise herself a little, but also in honor of her. And, and she wanders. Like, she doesn't know. She just wanders. And she likes to believe that it could be, partly because that Aoife has the life, barring the sexual assault with Kukala, and that doesn't come up in the book, has the mm. life that she imagines would be the life that Alva would be best suited to and would suit her best. It's also fun that she's called Aoife because in certain tellings of the myth, Aoife's older sister who is the one who birthed the children of Lur is called like Aoife <laughs> like it's Eve like it's three different names all derived from the old Irish name Eve A-O-I-B-H which means beauty but it's just three different derivations so they're essentially Aoife Aoife and Aoife yeah so it's fun that it they was, kind of brought that in it was fun when reading it to be like which of these because their names are so similar when you pronounce mm-hmm. them um Ava gave me the most prop trouble in pronouncing within my own being because when I looked at How it How is it spelled? A E Father B H. Wait. A E Father B H. Which I which I know is yeah. Ave, but I keep pronouncing it Ava. Ave, yeah. I like, quite like it actually. I do too. I liked so many of the names within this book. Mm, you mentioned that earlier. The other name that I really liked was Small and also Dektara, who are the two um, female warriors. I just really liked every time they came up. I like these. They all actually are very swan-like to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aoife often describes her sister when her sister is alive as swan-like in her movements because she is the most beautiful of them. Ave, Ave is like very tra- is described as being very traditionally beautiful. She is very grace-like. She is what you would think of when you think of a princess to become a queen. Mm-hmm. And then Aoife describes herself as being not unbeautiful, but less traditionally beautiful. And also she is like, there is something inside of me that wants power and there is something inside of me that wants knowledge. And so she spends a lot of her childhood trying to gather information and secrets and just to know things. And she's also the storyteller of her siblings, which leads nicely to her telling her own story in such a fashion. I think that the traits of wanting knowledge and wanting power are actually very suitable for a queen. 
Yeah. I think they're very good princess who becomes a queen traits because that sounds like a good co-ruler. It sounds like a good uh, power behind the throne. That's only if your king wants a partner and Lear does not want a partner. Lear wants children. Mm -hmm. So so she doesn't suit him. Um, And then she describes Alva as being very untraditionally beautiful, uh, the perfect warrior. She's like, she is not a beauty, but that's not where her interests lie. She has no interest in being a beauty. She wants to be able to fight and that is how she is going to gather power and respect. Mm -hmm. And she loves her so much. She truly loves her sisters, like so much. And she tries to love the children and she... She is like, I tried to love the children, but I did not have a motherly instinct inside of me in order to love the children. And maybe if I had had a child of my own, that well of love would have would have come. But it did not come for these four children. And I tried and they rejected me because they wanted their mother. And I was resentful that they couldn't accept me, even though I didn't really want them. And they loved their father so much and I did want him. That's interesting to me because it doesn't seem like Lyra is a very desirable partner to me. He doesn't respect her. She is young and she falls in love with him for what he is and what she thinks he is. And then over time is like, he is not the person that I have invented in my head. And then she becomes very resentful towards him and takes her upset out on the children. She also seems to have a motherly instinct in how she loves her siblings so much. Yeah, um, she does have that well of love for her siblings and she does, and that is the predominant reason why she tries to love the children. She's like, these are my sister's children and I will try. Mm-hmm. But I, th- they they don't seem to want me to. So, yeah. Trauma, eh? Um, um, anyway, I'm not sure. I am never sure that the books that I love the most on this pod, that I have given them the telling that they deserve but i this book is beautiful it's so lyrical the the writing is it flows so much like i cannot overstate the flow of this book um i did not check if it's available in audio but i assume that if it were it would be poetry um every chapter also has a very short like two-line poem that is written in the style of Ohm, which is an old Irish way of writing. And I know, Aoife, that you had issues with the Ohm because you're supposed to read Ohm up, but these poems are written it was, down. It was just confusing for me because you sent me a poem and I could not make sense of it because I was trying to read it like how you read Ohm. And it made no sense. And then I had to, I was like, okay, listen, okay, shh. Let's pretend I don't know Owen. I'll try read this poem. And I was like, oh, okay. It's just not written in Owen. Yeah. It's formatted in Owen. It's Oum. formatted in Owen, but it is written more traditionally. Um, I'm going to read the very first one because I think it sums up what I was saying about it being Aoife's version of the story. Stories vary throat to throat and heart to foolish hearse. But mine belongs to me as much as them. So here I am. I will begin again. I will remember. And every 
chapter has one of those just two two three line little verses and every single one of them hit me in a different way and I would just really encourage people to read Savage Her Reply. It is absolutely stunning and beautiful. It There is a lot more in it than I feel like I am portraying and it really does give a look at a woman whose life is not go- gone the way her life in life did not go the way that she thinks was best suited and she has now had a, a millennia in order to to reflect on it and to see how it would how it, not even how it could be different but just to reflect on it and to tell it to another person and it's very beautiful can i ask you a few short questions about it yeah go for it you said that it sort the story continues into our present day like does Aoife comment on our current day and how how do you get a sense of modernity it like technically does go into our current day it's predominantly that she's like i see buildings changing i see different things i watch women in the in the park with their like it's that she witnesses this more than anything else Mm -hmm. um within the first chapter she discusses how old she is and also, but how also how young she is, mm-hmm. and that's what gives it the most sense of that she is telling it from the now. Um, mm-hmm. I am old. I am older than books. I am older than keep cups. I am older than the internet. I am older than your oldest living relative's oldest memory and her mother's before her and her mother's before her. And you keep going and going and going. I am older than your governments, your laws. I am older than bus stops. None of these are very impressively old. Um, she is also older than all of the things that we would imagine as being staples of life, as yeah, it were. Yeah, that's fair. She's from a different. If we like, even if we put aside the mythological element of it, she is from the Celtic era, and I don't want to go. I feel like this notion gets abused a lot by like new agey hippies and white nationalists so just to put it out there i am not of either of those bents and i fucking hate those people but an enormous change happened in irish culture in like the 16 1700s and i'm not up there with ivan boland who's like the bardic order is dead and gone because it's not um people still recite poetry uh, if you've ever been to a trad night or an open mic or a slam poetry event, you know that the bardic order isn't something that can die. But the culture which this person was born into, again, even with all the mythological stuff behind, doesn't exist anymore because it was colonised and before it was colonized it was christianized and after it was colonized there was an attempt to regroup it but not really and it's just gone so yeah she's witnessed a lot of world endings but never got to grow up how sympathetic are you to Aoife by the end of the book um I am more sympathetic to the children beyond all because they were innocent within everything but Mm -hmm. I'm definitely way more sympathetic to Aoife than I am to Lear 
to whom mm. the story portrays as the person to whom a tragedy has been committed. Yeah, has been brought upon. Even like a thing that it brought my attention to is that even within the traditional story of the children of Lear, Lear is the person to whom we are supposed to feel the sympathy to, because it is mm. his children, the thing that he owns that has been damaged. Um, by his woman the thing he's meant to control yeah um so yeah i feel more sympathy to Aoife in this telling than i are there any other survivors of the era Aoife is born into or does everyone else disappear beneath the land and sea um is she and the wind the only things left she and the wind the land and the sea are the only things left um and she does talk a bit about how when she is cursed, she is asked what would be the worst punishment for her. And she talks about not being able to be connected to the land, not being able to connect to the water and not seeing her loved ones ever again. And that includes the fact that she is like, I would like to be reunited with my loved ones in death. And this is why she is cursed to the air and cursed to never die. And Mm -hmm. so she is now able to make some connections with the earth and with the water. But she acknowledges that she will never be able to be reunited with the ones that she loved in her life. And even if she would, if she could die, there is no one to say the death words for her because there is no one now who knows them. There is no one who is capable of doing the rituals that would be required for her to to pass to the other world. Mm -hmm. So she is bound to earth in such a manner. And that I feel sympathy for. That I feel a lot of sympathy for because I'm like, no one should be cursed in such a way that they cannot find peace within their faith. That is... (laughs) That is a take I will agree with. <laughs> so Aoife, what are you going reading next? <laughs> oh, well, first I've got more I've got more thoughts on this. I had some kind of thought and I feel like it was going to be real clever. But then you said, I don't feel anyone should be cursed. That means that they cannot find peace with their faith. And uh, <laughs> that was such a line that it knocked every thought out of my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good book. Sometimes like I'm really profound. It is a fantastic book. It sounds like it did keep an element of the original um, myth where she was allowed to name her punishment. Um, Very honest of her to name her punishment when she knew she was the one who was going to get punished with it. Yeah. Um, By that point, she is feeling an immense amount of regret and and remorse and is like, ah, but the way in which that I did the curse means that I can't actually undo it because she has a wand, which at the end of saying the curse, she drops and is unable to recover. Um, And so she's like, and also it's such of like of the moment thing that like the earth comes to her so strongly with its power and the water comes to her so strongly with its power and she's like even if I could find the wand in order to channel the power I do not believe that the power could come to me again it was such a such a moment of emotion and power and volatility that like it's not something that would necessarily be replicable I think that's a really good allegory for things that you do in the heat of the moment, things that you do fueled by anger that uh, are fueled with that great visceral power, which you may go on to regret, but you can't ever undo mm-hmm. because 
if you've done it, it's done. And you've yep. dropped your magic wand into the lake. So, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a really beautiful book. Did it take you long to read? Um, I read it upon a Saturday. So, no. Um, mm. Actually, no, I read it upon two two separate days, a Saturday and a Sunday. But, yeah, it is very... It flows so beautifully that it does just like the pages just do keep turning and turning and turning. If it's anything like the other books we read in a sort of prosaic poetry format, then there's also just less text. No, it's not. It's not in a poetry format other than like the the ohm multiple liners that like starts the chapters um, mm-hmm. It is just very easy flowing, lyrical. The words just sound like poetry, like there's a musical element to the storytelling. But I found that with I found that with Deirdre Sullivan's previous works that I read as well, that just her writing is very beautiful and just very it, it appears seamless in its that was oh, sorry, go on. It appears seamless in its in its formation. Um like you are just being told a story in in a kind of hypnotic rhythm rhythm manner yeah and she is an experienced storyteller at this point who i'm sure knows her craft and would be conscious that this is a story she needed to tell as if it was spoken yeah so beautiful that's good do you how would you compare it to Deirdre Sullivan's other work? Is it different? Is it similar? Is it more or less um, mature? Is it because it is technically not targeted for a young adult audience? Yeah, strictly. Strictly, um, I would say that it's di- so. The other work that I read by Deirdre Sullivan is Perfectly Preventable Deaths, which also has like an element of magic to to it, and is also very. Gothic is like not quite the word that I want, but haunting, maybe. I think and gothic is not an inappropriate term, given my memory of you telling me about it for a pod. That is also set in Ireland, and it also draws upon like old Irish, old magic of the land, and this kind of sense. And I wonder, oh. Just because I said the word. She's just from Galway, isn't she? She's from Galway. She's just from Galway at the end of the day. Honestly, a lot of her books remind me of the concept of trad. Just like the sense memory that trad gives you. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, Kira. I, I, Kira, Kira. I'll lend you the book. (laughs) We live during a pandemic and I understand that we can't do all the things we want to do. And I'm a huge fan of public health and safety and I don't ever want to endanger anyone or, and I also am rather opposed to being endangered. But Kira, this Christmas I went up home and I didn't get to see any live music. <laughs> I didn't get to go any trad nights. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> I... I'm very upset for you and I say that like this book has a trad music sense memory but also trad music causes me to dissociate so hard so that I actually can't appreciate trad music in any fashion. I think when you say trad music you mean what I'm talking about with the bardic order which is 
oral storytelling. It is this remnant, this thread in our culture that has remained because, I mean, poetry and music is a thread in every culture. And again, want to emphasize, I am not saying this in a neo-Nazi way. I think that anyone who wants to enter the bardic tradition can do it. It is not a thing for people with blood in the game or whatever. But it is a it is a thread in our culture that has been consistent for millennia. And I think that's what Deirdre Sullivan is pulling on, mm. is that sense of deep, deep history, history beyond, you know, names and dates. It's the history of culture and like what people remember and the stories people tell. And of course that is a vibe in this book because it is literally about one of those stories. And the fact that, you know, I'm also from the West, um, you know, I was raised, I was named this name. Uh, my mother founded a Nina <laughs> in order to raise Irish speakers, even though she wasn't a native speaker, simply because her father thought it would be rude to speak Irish to the children when he had an English wife in the house. It matters a lot to me. And I really... I didn't get to see any trad music this Christmas. <laughs> I am anyway. I'm really sad that you didn't get to see any trad music. I am genuinely Kira, sad about it. I've, I'm dangerously on the precipice of learning to play the tin whistle again. Okay, I know that the tin whistle is an important part of Irish culture, but please don't do that. Um, but yes. Do you have any other questions or do you want to do a wrap up now? I'd like to know if there's any lowlights for this book for you. I feel no. like we've heard a lot of sidelights and highlights there is no low light to this book this book was perfect as far as i am concerned the only beautiful low light that i have is that due to the pandemic the libraries are closed and so i cannot recommend it to people i've already recommended it to every person that i will physically see we can just tweet a lot about <laughs> it like no um this is a five-star book for me with like no caveats I adored it and I will very likely reread it with the next three months. It just, it, the flow of it is just so beautiful and perfect. That's it. Next book we're going to talk about on this podcast is going to be Gothic. I'm not quite sure which one it's going to be yet because I'm reading both. He is Mine and I Have No Other by Rebecca O'Connor and Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. But both are very gothic books. One is about a young person during Regency England who is learning how society works, but she's read entirely too many escapist fantasy books about cruel lords who have wives in dungeons who uh, take on a young governess to mind their children in a castle full of dark secrets while like totally normal people are just trying to make friends with her. <laughs> and... He is mine and I have no other is, I say this with all the affection in my heart, a romance between a boy who's listened to way too much of The Cure and an, a good Catholic Irish girl who therefore has no idea how to conceptualise her own sexual attraction. And it is set in Cavan in the 1990s and it is beautifully immersive and quasi surreal in the way that being a teenager just is so I'm excited to tell you about how very extra those teens are 
in both of these books. But we will see which one I finish first because Northanger Abbey is an audiobook. And as we are in big level five lockdown and I personally am self-isolating, I don't have much listening time. <laughs> Very fair. Uh, if you want to tell us about the books that you're reading this January or give us recommendations for other books, you can contact us at Twitter at Forever YA Pod. You can contact us on Instagram you, at Forever YA Podcast. And if you want to throw us a little bit of money, help support us financially in the making of this podcast, you can do so at Patreon forward slash Forever YA Pod. You can also email us at Forever YA Pod at gmail.com. And the four is a number, not the word. And yeah, that's all our social medias. We're going to try for 2021 to be more active on at least Twitter but also on the Instagram. So you may be seeing more of us. How exciting. We're continuing to upload every second Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on the day of release, keep an eye out. There's going to be an episode in two weeks. Yep. Uh, take care of yourselves till then. Bye. Bye. Where we were